Hello everyone, welcome to NFL Unwrapped, where we unwrap the hottest takes from around the NFL. I'm Corbin Weinerman, joined by Christian McGowan. Christian, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Corb? Doing pretty well. Um, unfortunately, Perry can't be on this episode. He's pulling an all-day shift at work, so good luck with that, Perry. He also pulls all-day shifts running the Unwrapped Network, too, so I just want to compliment him and how much work he does put in for all of this. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, Perry... You have been amazing throughout this entire process, getting us sponsors, making sure that the Twitter page is always up to date. Uh, it's been incredible. So, Perry, thank you so much, and keep up the good work. So, before the Perry we... podcast. What was that? The Perry Appreciation Podcast. Yes, exactly. So, before we get into the details of the Perry Appreciation Podcast, just wanted to remind you guys to go follow us on Twitter, where Perry... And, I mean, all of us try to contribute, but Perry does put in a ton of work to that. You can follow us at NFL Unwrapped. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinMRPK. Oh, you know what? Not CorbinMRPK. You can follow me at Corbin Unwrapped. I'm still getting used to my new Twitter handle. Follow Christian on Twitter at McGowan75. And you can follow Perry on Twitter at Perry Aston. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast either on SoundCloud or via the Apple iTunes podcast app. If you are listening to us on the Apple iTunes podcast app, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. So with that, let's get right into this episode. Let's talk a little bit about the Browns and Jets from Thursday Night Football. So, While it's still fresh. Yes, and while I'm sure it's still fresh in everyone's memory in Cleveland and will be for a while. So the Jets started out with the lead. Uh, Tyrod Taylor was struggling to really do anything. And midway through the second quarter, the Jets take, Ty <coughs> take Tyrod Taylor down, sack him. He ends up getting a concussion. Baker Mayfield comes in, leads the Cleveland Browns back to a victory, which has not happened in over 600 days. 635 to be exact. 635 days. And Baker Mayfield, he looked good. I mean, he he's clearly a much better throw over the football than Tyrod Taylor. I don't think that's a question. It was just the intrigue with Tyrod Taylor was that he's not going to make any mistakes. Um, but, I don't know, Baker Mayfield just looked so much better than Tyrod Taylor. After the game was over, after Mayfield had led them all the way back to the victory, uh, head coach Hugh Jackson was asked at the press conference if Baker Mayfield would be the full-time starter, and he said that he had to go back and watch film before he could make that decision. I think that that was more just giving Tyrod Taylor the respect that he deserves that before he goes with the quarterback change, he's going to talk to Tyrod Taylor. But it's pretty obvious Baker Mayfield should be the starter, right, Christian? No doubt. I, that's a total old coaching move. You know, Tyrod's not a rookie. He's a vet, so you're going to give him that respect. You're not going to be like, yep, yeah, it's Baker, Tyrod's done. You're going to say, you're going to be meeting. He's going to give Tyrod every chance to win his shot and win his job back in practice. But unless he does something super drastic behind the scenes, I think Baker Mayfield not only will, but deserves to come out with a hot hand next week. Because what he did, in my opinion, he looked more impressive than Sam Donald did. I oh, absolutely. Not even close. Much a sample size, but he came in there in a much worse situation and just finessed his way back into the game. It was impressive. So you mentioned that if Tyrod Taylor does something really impressive in practice that maybe he could win the starting position back, you really think that? Because I just think even if Tyrod looks incredible in practice and Baker Mayfield is struggling in practice, 
the game the game doesn't lie. The game film doesn't lie. And if he's really going to go back and look at the film, as he says, he's going to see that Baker Mayfield is clearly the much better quarterback. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on that, but small sample size. Toronto has had very good games on other teams with much larger sample sizes. So I think at the very least, you go with a quarterback 1A, quarterback 1B approach next week, and they split um, split reps, they split series until one pokes their head out next week because that was a small size. If Baker Mayfield comes out and throws three picks like Nathan Petterman does, what, you're going to switch back to Sherrod? I think it's a little bit safer to go about the approach with Sherrod's going to get the first two uh, series no matter what, Baker's going to get the next two series no matter what, and whoever has the hot hand is going to be the quarterback going forward. I think just going all the way one, all the way another is a very deadly approach, and it's very, very polarizing for a team. So, yes, I think it's Dick Gerard, it does amazing, conducts himself very well, makes some very precise throws in practice. You still go with him to at least start the game, not play the whole game, but at least start week four. I, I understand the reasoning with that. Um, I do think that if they do go with Baker Mayfield, there is no going back. You can't go back to Tyrod Taylor after you make your number one overall pick, the starting quarterback. Here's some stats for Tyrod Taylor. So, for this year as a whole, he has played in three games, started all three games for the Browns. He's 41 for 84, so completion percentage of 48.8%. He's got 462 yards in about two and a half games. Um, yards per attempt, 5.5. He has two touchdowns, two interceptions, passer rating of 63.7, which is much lower than it's been uh, throughout his career in Buffalo, where his passer rating never dipped below 89.2. Um, and again, that's I mean, the Bills didn't have a ton of talent around him either. It's just Tyrod's really struggled in Cleveland. And then especially in the game on Thursday night, Tyrod was 4 for 14. That's a 28.6 completion percentage, 19 total yards, and was sacked three times. I also think that when the Browns switched from Tyrod Taylor to Baker Mayfield, the Jets' defense switched up too because you could tell that when Tyrod Taylor was playing quarterback for the Browns, the Jets were not scared of what he was going to do through the air. They were coming after him. They were making sure that he could not get out of the pocket and scramble, and they were going to live with the results if he was going to throw it. And clearly, they were right. Going for, for four for 14 is not good in any situation. Baker Mayfield comes in. He goes 17 for 23, 201 yards, uh, passer rating of 100.1. It just... He first snap, though. Yes. Yes. But it just, it was night and day. And you could also, at least to me, I got the sense that just the entire team was much more involved in the game, much more into the game with Baker Mayfield than Tyrod Taylor. I think uh, one thing that I noticed while watching the game was there's much more of a true connection between Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield oh, absolutely. than there was with Broad and Jarvis Landry. It's almost night and day. You can tell that they... That not only that it's his favorite target, but there's much more of a natural connection between the two than I saw with Tarod. I don't know if uh, any of you or Corbin had the chance to watch the game, but you know you said that the, the you know the Jets defense reacted differently. I think the Browns offense reacted differently. I think it was almost. I know I made this reference before, but if you've ever had an old dog and you buy a new puppy, the old dog starts you know acting more lively. So I felt like that was almost. In a sense, with Baker, you know, they brought the young pup in there, and then everyone's, you know, you know, has all that energy. So that was just another thing that I wanted to bring up was 
I know that Terod is a veteran, but it seems like the connection is just there more with Baker Mayfield and both the players around him. Yeah, I think that with Baker Mayfield, absolutely Jarvis Landry was more involved because Tyrod Taylor, he wasn't really throwing to the middle of the field, and that's where Jarvis Landry working out of the slot he does a lot of damage in the middle of the field. Antonio Callaway, he was also targeted 10 times. He only had four receptions. He had a, a deep ball that Baker Mayfield threw to him that should have been caught, and that was going to be a beautiful pass that probably would have gone for a touchdown. Um, yeah, I think moving forward, like if you're a fantasy owner of Jarvis Landry and or Antonio Callaway, you have to be really happy assuming that Baker Mayfield is the starting quarterback because Tyrod Taylor just he wasn't going to get much out of whatever receivers he had there. I wish him the best on his next trip to whatever team next year. <laughs> yes, exactly. So let's I think he's up the, uh, the journeyman phase of his career. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely has. And I think he might have to end up settling into like one of the premier backup roles. Hey, look at Fitzpatrick. That's not such a bad deal. Yeah, I mean, Fitzpatrick, you know what, let's bring him up for a second. I know we didn't have him on the outline, but he's worth talking about. So, Fitzpatrick, through the first two games, I believe he's leading the NFL in passing. He's been incredible for the Buccaneers, who I thought going into the year were one of the worst teams in the league. They're out to a 2-0 start. They got the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night. What do you think Ryan Fitzpatrick needs to do week three against the Steelers to make sure he's the starting quarterback when Jameis Winston comes back from his suspension after the game against the Steelers. Just keep doing what he's doing. He's already went up against the Philadelphia Eagles defense, so he's already went up against an elite defensive one. I just don't think he needs to do anything more than what he's doing. I know he's doing so, so well, and it's very easy for me to say that, but just he needs to keep being calm. If he plays the way he's been playing, Jameis Winston's going to be looking for a new job. Plain and simple. Yeah, I... If he dips, then yeah, give Jameis Winston a chance to win his job back. But if he's playing the way that he's playing, there is no way you take him out. I've already said, I think I'd be surprised if Jameis Winston's still on the Buccaneers after this year. But what if if Ryan Fitzpatrick goes out against the Steelers and just has an okay game? Let's say he throws for around 200 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and the Buccaneers lose a somewhat close game. Let's say they lose by like 10 points. Is he still the okay. starter, or does that become a quarterback competition with Jameis Winston? I think that you, if he plays an all-right game, you do what I talked about with the Browns. You give him each two series in the next game and see who does better, and then roll with that. Having You, you drafted Jameis Winston at number one. You're going to have to at least give him a shot. Even though he did something stupid and got suspended, you at least give him a shot to win his job back. If Fitz keeps playing how he's playing, and keeps being as mature as we know he's been throughout his career... That's a much better lead of your team than Jameis Winston. And you're also going to have to pay Jameis Winston a lot of money next summer if you're going to want to keep him. Yeah, I, if I'm the Buccaneers, I do not want to do that. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw two games. He's has a completion percentage of 78.7%. He is 819 yards, so he's averaging 409 yards passing per game. 13.4 yards per attempt. Eight touchdowns, one interception, passer rating of 151.3. The top passer rating you can possibly have is 158.3. So he's been unbelievable. He has been Ryan Fitzmagic. Um, we'll see if it continues against the Steelers. I think that if I'm the Buccaneers, like even if Fitzpatrick does just have an okay game, and I mean, especially if the Buccaneers win, he makes your choice 
really easy because as you mentioned Jameis Winston if he comes back and has even a decent year as your starting quarterback you're going to be forced with the really tough decision of do you give him all of this money with all of the immaturity he's shown off the field and the just so-so performance he's had on the field and if I'm the Buccaneers I'm kind of looking for any reason I can not to be put in that situation and Fitzpatrick is the perfect way to go about that. No doubt he's going to be a cost saver and he'll allow you to spend money in other positions that will help him and help the team. Exactly. So let's move on to another quarterback who has been absolutely lighting up the league, Patrick Mahomes. Against the Steelers last week, mentioned Buccaneers will be playing them this week. Last week, Patrick Mahomes had six touchdowns. He had five incompletions. 23 for 28, six touchdowns, five incompletions. I believe he still has not even thrown in an interception, correct? I'm pretty sure I think he's 10 touchdowns with O picks right now. Yeah. He has been unbelievable. He has just so much speed everywhere you look on that roster. He is an absolute cannon for an arm. It's a deadly combination. Going into this year, I mean, I expected Mahomes to be able to sling the football. I did not know that he was going to be this accurate, though. Uh, well, I, I, I think that was the main knock coming out of Texas Tech was like, okay, he throws the ball well, he throws the ball down the field, but he made a lot of dumb interceptions and he had a lot of incompletions. That literally has not been the case with him since he's been in the NFL, since he's been with Andy Reid. He has not thrown dumb passes, he's thrown smart passes, and he's limited his incompletions to five last games. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's almost unbelievable, but do you think that we're going to continue to see this level of excellence from Patrick Mahomes for the rest of the year? I think we're, the, the sea of interceptions is coming. I think we'll see a game coming up with maybe four touchdowns to three interceptions. But I think, I know on the we said, is he the real deal? I think he is. I, I just see the way he plays. I see the swagger and the confidence that he brings. I really believe in him. Now, my question is to you, Corbin, five, six years from now, when Travis Kelsey is gone or retired, Tyreek Hill is gone, uh, Kareem Hunt maybe is injured or gone, is he going to have this thing? Is he going to be... I think right now, he has so many weapons around him, obviously it inflates how good he actually is. But I'm really interested, do you think that when these weapons are gone in a couple of years, is he going to be the same? I know it's very soon into his career, but he has his weapons everywhere, running back, offensive line, wide receiver one, tight end, like, I just don't see us getting an accurate picture of how good he is until those people are gone. Yeah, I think five or six years from now, I I think Tyreek Hill will still be on the roster and he'll still be the one, I mean, probably the elite speed wide receiver in the NFL, so he's still going to have that. Um, yeah, he's going to lose some at some other positions. Travis Kelsey will probably be gone. Who knows if Sammy Watkins, who's another speed guy, will still be on the roster. Um, I agree that, look, his stats aren't going to stay this good forever. The league will start to figure him out. Uh, it's kind of what we saw with Deshaun Watson last year, putting up incredible numbers. And now this year he's still been a good quarterback, but not nearly what he was last year because the teams that he's facing, they have game film on him now. They're able to see what his tendencies are. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, though, I think I think five or six years from now, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I'd say I'd top ten. I don't know if I want to go top five yet. I'd have to think about all the other young quarterbacks. Um, 
but yeah, I think he's absolutely for real, and he's going to continue to put up some very impressive numbers. I do think we're going to see, obviously, an increase in interceptions. He can't stay at zero forever, but I agree with you that there will probably be a game or two at some point this year where he throws three, four interceptions, and it's just like, oh, yeah, that's why we were a little concerned about him coming out of Texas Tech. Yeah, it brings back to reality. Yeah, but over, really, overall, he's though... He's really young. He shouldn't have this, like... I think it's almost kind of dangerous if he doesn't have a coming-to-earth type moment. Why do you say that? Because I think we should all be grounded in reality at some point. Like, you're going to have bad games. You're going to have... I'd rather have him have a bad game week six than week two in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he's... Right now, he's averaging over... 10 yards per attempt, uh, passer rating of 143.3, completion percentage 69%. It's not going to stay that way forever. Um, but, yeah, I think that, especially just with Andy Reid, do you see Patrick Mahomes more of a system quarterback, just in Andy Reid's offensive system, or do you just think he's just a good quarterback regardless of system? I think... Right now, he seems a little bit like a system quarterback. I will say, though, the power of his arm and those deep balls, that's not a system. That is talent. If you're throwing, and that's why we're going to talk about this a little bit later about system quarterbacks, but he's hitting those 15-yard passes like a system quarterback, like how he's supposed to, but then he has the Yannon where he is just, there's no play. I mean, there is a play. It's called backyard football where you say, (laughs) Tyreek Hill, as fast as you can in a straight line. And hopefully they block long enough for me to throw in the air. That's what makes him not a system quarterback to me. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, let's move on to. I know we were going to talk about it a little bit later in the show, but uh, since we were talking about system quarterbacks, Jared Goff. There's been some talk lately about him. Some people thinking that he's a system quarterback. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he's a system quarterback? Hundred percent. He. Is uh, with Sean McVay, he's given a very like strict progression of plays. He doesn't really go beyond his means. He knows what he's good at. He knows what he's bad at, and he plays within his means. It's very Tom Brady esque in that instance. I know um, some people associate system quarterback with being a bad quarterback. I think that's anything from the case. Even if you're a system quarterback, to throw a 15 yard design play, even when he's covered or uncovered. An NFL game is still very hard to know when to check down, to know when to hit your second read in a system. It's still very hard. It's still something that 75, 80% of quarterbacks never, ever learn to do. So I think Jared Goff is, Jared Goff is a good system quarterback. I don't think – I think people need to get away from saying system is synonymous with bad. I don't think that at all. If, you're, if you run a system correctly, you're a good quarterback. If you don't run a system correctly and you're not good, then you're just trash. Like I, I just don't think that. I think he's getting a lot more hate, and he should be getting a lot of love for just doing his job. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about this before we started the podcast, and I really think answering the question of if he's a system quarterback depends on how you define system quarterback. So I define it a little bit differently than you, Christian. To me, a system quarterback means that if you – take him out of that system and put him into a completely different system that then he's not he's not going to be a good quarterback anymore, even if he's just average or below average. And Jared Goff, to me, I think that regardless of the system that you put him in, he's going to be a good quarterback. I think that he is a beautiful throwing motion. He throws a beautiful ball. Um, 
he yes he still gets help from Sean McVay there was that report last year that McVay talks into his ear about like what to look for and uh, the coverage that the defense is running up to the 15 second mark on the play clock where McVay can't talk to him anymore but Jared Goff I just think he's a good quarterback and I agree that he doesn't really go off script much we saw in the game last week week two against the Cardinals where there was a play the play broke down Jared Goff scrambled out of the pocket which he doesn't really do that much and then he tried to hit Brandon Cooks uh, in the end zone he ended up throwing an interception to Patrick Peterson so uh, there is something to he doesn't go outside of the system much and when he does uh, maybe the results aren't great but I just think overall regardless of the system that Jared Goff is in uh, he would still be a really good quarterback and I think that he is a really bright future I actually think he's someone who five six years down the road from now I think he will be a top five quarterback in the league. Well, as a Rams fan, that just warms my little old heart. <laughs> but um, no, I agree, and that's why I think we we agree like half agree on this. I I just don't see him as someone who, if given a bad team, would elevate them like Aaron Rodgers does. So oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to that extent. I don't think he's anywhere close to a top five quarterback in the league right now. I just think that from it's what. Potential. Yeah, just from what I've seen from him, I think that he definitely has that potential, and I think that he'll probably fill that potential. He seems like a really smart quarterback, someone who puts in the work. Um, but yeah, yeah, Tom Brady was someone, I mean, we spoke about system quarterbacks before this podcast and uh, how some people think Tom Brady is a system quarterback. And I mean, going by your logic, Christian, I guess you would say that, yeah, he's a system quarterback because he's someone who does not break script really at all, but he is incredible at the system in which he's in. I don't think there's anyone else in the league with the exception of probably Aaron Rodgers who could do the things that he does and possibly do it as well as he does. Um, I think I think the reason why Tom Brady is great, and I know for anyone who's listening that's played football, being good at football is doing a bunch of really little things 100% right. And Tom Brady has mastered doing a thousand little things 100% correctly. So I think he has that more mastered than Aaron Rodgers to, and to an extent. He has to be that obsessive to be that good. Aaron Rodgers is more natural. It kind of just flows with him. He's that California cool. Tom Brady, like I said, doesn't go off script, but he has just mastered what he needs to master. And if he took a test on things that he needs to know, he's at 100%. He's mastered everything, every little thing that he needs to in the game him to be at that level i know it sounds a little complex but it's just it really is just doing all of those little things right you can be great you don't have to be the best throwing motion you don't have to be the tallest you have to be the fastest but tom brady has been the best at getting all of those little things right and that's why he is great even though he is a system quarterback you can be great and a system quarterback it's they're not mutually exclusive yeah no and i'll i agree with that i think that Aaron Rodgers is a very, very smart football player and probably one of the top two or three in the league, but Tom Brady is on a different level when it comes to that, and he has to be because his natural ability, his athleticism, obviously is below average even for the quarterback position. He has a good arm, but it's nothing spectacular. It's just him being able to dissect defenses, and part of that is just because of the coaching that he grew up in um, and that he still has. There was a quote that Tom Brady had, um, or 
someone had reported that he had said to, I believe it was an assistant coach on a different team talking about how if Aaron Rodgers had the the same offensive scheme that the Patriots had and the coaching that he's had with the Patriots that Aaron Rodgers would be throwing for 7,000 yards every single season. Um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be 7,000 yards, but... I do, I do completely agree that if you put Aaron Rodgers on the Patriots and Tom Brady on the Packers, the Patriots become a better football team and the Packers become a worse football team. The Packers' offensive scheme is not nearly as complex as the Patriots. The Packers' offensive scheme is really, okay, Aaron Rodgers, we're going to have these simple play calls for you. You go up to the line of scrimmage, call whatever audibles you need to based on the coverage. Um throw the ball out quickly a lot of times, and then our receivers are going to try to make a play. And then it's when Aaron Rodgers is able to have enough time for the deep ball that you just see how incredible he is. But Tom Brady just, the Patriots offense is just so much more complex and better, in my opinion, than the Packers. And as a Packers shareholder, I'm jealous of what Tom Brady is able able to have. What? I will again when we talk about the Packers. You know what? Let's talk about the Packers game from uh, last week right now. So they played the Vikings in week two. I cannot agree more. It it just it frustrates me so much. That roughing so the Vikings and the Packers were playing in week two. The Packers were up for most of the game. The Vikings started staging a comeback in the fourth quarter, and I believe it was 29-21 um, with about three minutes left. Three minutes left in the game, two and a half minutes left in the game. Kirk Cousins had thrown an interception um, the drive before, which led to a Packers field goal. The Packers decided to be aggressive, which is really uncommon for Mike McCarthy. He usually likes to play it safe, but on second and third down with about two minutes, 45 seconds left, the Packers threw it both times instead of electing to just run the clock run the ball and, in essence, run the clock or force the Vikings to use both of their timeouts they had remaining um, and just take the field goal. And it almost paid off for them. Aaron Rodgers hit Devontae Adams in the end zone. Adams dropped the ball. Then on third down, he hit Devontae Adams on a fade route. That one was a little bit tougher for Devontae Adams to catch. It did go right by a defender, but it still hit Adams right in the hands. I think he should have caught that. And if he catches that, the Packers... What was that? Jordy Nelson would have caught it. I know. Jordy Nelson really has not done anything with the Raiders. I'm uh, somewhat optimistic that maybe they release him at some point during the year, but it probably would be after the year. Um, But anyways, yeah, so Adams drops two touchdown passes in the end zone. The Packers end up having to kick a field goal. Vikings keep both of their timeouts. But then the Vikings come out. They're at about the 25-yard line. Kirk Cousins drops back slings it downfield, I believe it was to Stefan Diggs, and right as he's releasing the ball, Clay Matthews drills him, just like he should. It was To me, it was a textbook tackle. Clay Matthews launched himself at Kirk Cousins as he's throwing the ball. Jair Alexander for the Packers ends up intercepting the ball downfield, which essentially the Vikings still had two timeouts, so it wouldn't have completely ended the game. Yeah, it would have been close to being over, though. But the ref calls a 
roughing the passer penalty on Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews had a roughing the passer penalty in week one against Mitch Trubisky, too, when the Bears were on their last drive to try to um, win the game. And that one, I actually agreed with. He did hit him late. This one, he didn't hit him late. And then the ref's explanation after the game wasn't that Clay Matthews had hit him late. He said that Clay Matthews drove Kirk Cousins up out of the ground and then drove him into the ground. I don't understand how you can drive a player out of the ground when you yourself are not even touching the ground. You've launched yourself. You're in the air. How can you drive someone up and then drive them into the ground? Can can you explain that? It was, an ex- no, no, it was just uh, a complete abortion of a call. There's no reason. The, giving them that excuse is just further BS. They should have at least said, hey, we messed it up. We changed the outcome of this game. Because it's clear that he had no control. He didn't lift him up. He was diving. Like, there's no... He didn't do anything wrong. He textbook tackled him. This is just the refs being hypersensitive over this new rule change of trying to protect the quarterback. But if that's going to be a penalty then you might as well just let the quarterback throw on every play because I want to go back to week one when the Raiders played the Rams. Aaron Donald drove an offensive guard into Derek Carr and got one of those penalties too. I don't know if it was roughing the passer or one of those weird ones. I don't know what it's called. Yeah, it, was, below. it was probably roughing the passer. But how do you control that? Tell the offensive guard to be better. Aaron Donald just drove him into the quarterback and he's going to get a penalty. That's just absurd. This this overprotecting of the quarterback. I understand having good quarterbacks is good for the NFL, and we're trying to protect players. I'm all about player safety, but you are now changing the outcomes of the games. The Raider, the Vikings should have lost. Aaron Donald should have another sack on his record. Clay Matthews should have uh, a quarterback hit, and it shouldn't be a penalty. It, it's absurd. I hate seeing it. I hate seeing players get kicked off for targeting when it's not targeting. They need to be better at this. They spend. Millions, millions of dollars trying to get this shit right every year, and we just, I mean, they can't. I just don't understand it. Yeah, and I mean, I agree. They, I'm all for protecting the quarterback, but you just, you can't make it this difficult for defensive players to get a sack because eventually it's just going to turn into, I'm near the quarterback, but I don't know, he might throw within the next second or two, and if I don't hit him absolutely perfectly, I'm going to get penalized because the Clay Matthews hit, he hit. Kirk Cousins right in the midsection. You're not supposed to go low. You're not supposed to go high. He hits him the only place where he possibly can. It's just Kirk Cousins was exposed because he was releasing the football as Matthews hit him. So his midsection Actually, was exposed. In the game, Mike Daniels had a sack on Kirk Cousins, and he let him go because he feared that he yep. was going to get stuck in the passer. And Kirk was able to scramble and then continue to play. Yep. Like, that's absurd. Yeah, I completely remember that. I think Mike Daniels thought that the play was dead for some reason, and he just let Kirk Cousins go because, yep, he didn't want the 15-yard penalty. It just, this has to stop. And it's not just because it's the Packers. It's, I just, I don't want to see that throughout the entire league. So yeah, It pollutes the game, and there's already people willing to say the NFL is unwatchable, and that just further proves their point. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to some Josh Gordon news. So Josh Gordon, who was going to be cut by the Browns, ended up being traded to the New England Patriots for a fifth-round pick. What are your thoughts on that? If the Browns made the right decision, if the Patriots made the right decision, what do you think? I don't know what specifically happened behind closed doors, but whatever happened, it gave Hugh Jackson enough 
and John Dorsey enough ammunition to want to trade him for basically pennies on the dollar. Josh Gordon had a touchdown catch in week one. He gets this phantom injury that's cut is cut the next day. I it's shady. Josh Gordon has always been kinda of shady. I'm I'm one who wants to give people a second or third chance. But he he obviously did something where it spooked them, spooked them enough to cut their second best wide receiver or trade their second best wide receiver. So the Browns, yeah, they've gotten rid of their two most talent, one, two of their most talented wide receivers pre Jarvis Landry. They've now traded for a fifth and seven round pick with Corey Coleman being traded to the Bills, and then being tra- uh, cut to the Patriots and then cut again. Um, I think this works out for Josh Gordon the best in terms of uh, talent. He gets to go to a much better team, a much better situation. But the, the something happened. Something obviously went down because. They have given him so many chances to now this be the last straw. It's just very weird to me. Uh, what, what do you think, Corbin? Yeah, it was really surprising to me when the report came out that he was going to be released. I know from what the report was saying was that Josh Gordon hurt his hamstring at a photo shoot and that that's what was the last straw for the Browns. I don't buy that for one second because... You mentioned giving people second, third chances. Josh Gordon's on like his fourth or fifth chance. And for that to be the tipping point for why, okay, I'm not going to, I don't want to deal with him as an organization anymore. I, there has to be some more stuff behind it. I think for the Patriots, it's, it's definitely worth the gamble of a fifth round pick because if Josh Gordon is right and has his head on straight, then he is a very dangerous wide receiver and if he can stay healthy and just get back into game shape he can be one of the top 10-15 wide receivers in the league it's just we haven't seen that from him we haven't seen him be able to put together a full season in I think four or five years and so we're still a freshman year of college uh yeah I think I just when was it it was yeah it was four or five years ago when he had a great year with the Cleveland Browns. It's just ever since then, he's been dealing with drug problems. He's been dealing with injury problems. And if any organization can help someone overcome that, it is the New England Patriots. And I think the Cleveland Browns are probably the last franchise, the most dysfunctional franchise when it comes to being able to help their players going through stuff. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, Johnny Manziel. Just imagine when Julian Edelman comes back in two weeks and they have Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan. I think Patriots just got a lot scarier. And and Rob Gronkowski. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they did. I mean, as long as Gordon can stay healthy and stay off drugs, which that's a big if. You mentioned Johnny Manziel. There was, I believe it was, it was Johnny Manziel's last year with the Browns. I think that was, what, two, three years ago where... Josh Gordon had played in five games for the Browns. He needed to play in six games that year to have a tenured year of service, and then he would have become an unrestricted free agent instead of a restricted free agent. And going into the last game of the year, Johnny Manziel was hosting a party, um, had Josh Gordon come over, and then they, I believe he was encouraging Josh Gordon to drink, which... It's not the worst thing for a normal player, but Josh Gordon, someone who's supposed to um, stay off of any drugs for that matter, including alcohol, he ended up getting suspended for that last game and he lost a year of uh, tenured service in the NFL and went from being 
unrestricted where he could have signed anywhere for however much money he wanted to being stuck with the Browns unless they let him go somewhere else. Um, so yeah, Josh Gordon, look, if, if he is healthy and can stay off drugs, he is going to be a terrifying weapon for the New England Patriots. I agree. The Patriots just got potentially a lot better. It's just, it's just the unknown that comes with Josh Gordon where it's, I can't say for certain the Patriots are clearly the best team in the AFC, even though they did just get destroyed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. We can talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I'll let you uh, go with that one. So yeah, the Patriots, uh, I'm not going to say it was a beating. I felt like it was a little bit worse than it was, but they lost 31 to 20. The Jaguars being the Patriots. I'm not going to hold this as my view of the Patriots, because like I said earlier, one of the best wide receivers is still on suspension, and they're now going to have Josh Gordon. So the Jacksonville's scary. I'm happy that Jacksonville's good. I think having someone rival the Patriots is fun. It's very entertaining. But the Patriots, I still think uh, with how things are going, it's going to be a repeat of next year. They're going to meet again in the game before the Super Bowl, and the Patriots are going to beat them. That's my honest opinion. Yeah, I... I actually, before the season started, I had uh, told my dad was asking who I thought would play in the Super Bowl, and he wanted to put $100 down on two teams. I told him go with the Rams and the L.A. Chargers. I was thinking that the Chargers' defense was going to be a lot scarier than it's been so far. Some of that has to do with Joey Bosa still being out, and then hopefully he'll be returning before too much longer. And, and then on the offensive side of things, just to me, I... I just I'm never confident saying that a team's going to get to the Super Bowl when they do not have a good quarterback. And Blake Bortles had a really good game against the Patriots. I think he threw for four touchdowns. I believe he had over 300 yards passing. Um, he dissected the Patriots' defense, but we've seen over his time with the Jaguars that he he's not able to lead them to victory. It's just okay, Blake Bortles, try not to screw up. We're going to have our defense go out and just destroy the other team's offense. They they never win because of him. They win in spite of him. Exactly. And I I think that's how it's going to continue to go throughout this year. And if the Patriots and the Jaguars do end up meeting in the playoffs again, I, I would be very, very surprised if Blake Bortles has anything close to the type of game that he had last week. And I think Bill Belichick's going to be studying that film and whatever Bortles was doing to be successful he's not going to be able to do it again. And best believe this, and I want every single person who hears this to understand this, the plays that you call in week four versus the plays that you call in the playoffs are totally different. Bill Belichick is saving his better plays for the end of the year. Oh, yeah. If he, I honestly, another thing I wanted to bring up, I felt like if he wanted to beat the Jaguars, he would have. That was just my opinion. I felt like what their play calling was nothing special. I felt like they went out there with a mundane plan, and they still did pretty well. Like they got they got physically beat up, but they only lost by eleven. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you had said earlier that it felt like a worse beatdown than what the final score was. The Jaguars had control of this game pretty much throughout the entire game. I think they were up what was it, twenty-one to three at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. So they were controlling this entire game from start to finish. 
Um, I do agree that if they meet in the playoffs, it's going to be much different. Play calling is going to be more exotic for Bill Belichick. Uh, again, Bortles will not be able to do what he did. Um, but all we have right now is what we've seen so far. And what we've seen so far is the Jaguars look really good. Blake Bortles has had a good start to this season. I don't think it's going to last, but we'll see. Because if Bortles can even be an average quarterback, then I think the Jaguars are clearly the best team in the AFC. No, I agree. Yeah. But like you said, when it comes down to crunch time, I don't think Bortles has it. And I've seen for almost a decade the Patriots do. Exactly. All right, let's move on to our final topic we want to discuss before we talk about the upcoming games on Sunday and Monday. So, John Gruden, head coach of the Oakland Raiders, recently was quoted as saying, quote, it's really hard to find a good pass rusher. Okay, um, well, you had arguably the best pass rusher, and then you traded him away before the start of the year. Meanwhile, Khalil Mack and the entire Bears defense, they're leading the NFL in sacks right now through uh, two games. What, what, I have them. What? I, I know you do. I Believe me, we're, Christian and I are playing each other in fantasy football this week. Christian has the L.A. Rams defense and the uh, Chicago Bears defense, so he's set there. Um yeah, what 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 do you think the point is for John Gruden to even be saying this? Is he just trying to get Oakland Raiders fans pissed off at him? I have no freaking clue what he's thinking in general. Yeah, you had the best pass rusher, but you gave him away for literally pennies. Why? This is one of those things where it's just be freaking quiet, dude. Like. I have no understanding of why he'd say that. It's just drawing more attention to the fact that he is contributing to the problem. Like, you could have a good pass rusher. The thing is, look at what Khalil Mack has done. Not only is he increasing the pass rush with him himself, when you have one person like that, it makes it easier for everyone else on the defensive line to pass rush because that's the person who now gets the double team. With the Raiders' defensive line having no true stud, it's so much easier to block that than if you have to be concerned about one person and have your game plan around that one person. I'm not. I don't want to say John Green's going to be fired at the end of this year, but he. I know he also quoted. He said, "We're going to be judged on this until the cow until the cows come home." If he doesn't win a Super Bowl by the end of his what ten year career, he finessed the Raiders. He traded away their best player, and now is kind of exposed Derek Carr for not being an elite quarterback. Because not to get on a separate tangent, but. Derek Carr has severely unimpressed me this year. And I know Perry was very high on their offense, but they do not look good top to bottom right now. Yeah, Derek Carr, to me, I never thought that he was an elite talent in the NFL. I thought he was maybe a slightly above average quarterback, but I just think his ceiling is not that high. And John Gruden's offense is really, really complex. Um, it takes a lot of time to learn all of the verbiage that goes into everything with him. And yeah, Derek Carr has not impressed me at all this year. It's almost like from two years ago when he was a legitimate MVP candidate until he got injured towards the end of the year. In the two seasons that's followed, he's taken a step back each year. Last year, he took a step back. This year, he's taken a step back even from last year. And then the Raiders as a whole, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned it a little bit, but is John Gruden on the hot seat already? I know it's two games in. He's got this 10-year, 10, $10 $100 million contract. 
and every there's not one move that he has done. I, I mean, I guess signing Dominic Rogers Cromarty, it was a good move for a defense that needed some help. But other than that, there's not one move that he's made this offseason that I was saying, oh, yeah, you know what? That's actually a good move. I think that I'll at least see him through the transition to Las Vegas because that's at least going to be an exciting game to sell tickets in that first year. But I think two, three years of them being crappy, trading away their... It's, I thought about this the other day. It's kind of very similar to Chip Kelly in, uh, when he took over in Philadelphia. You know, he started trading away the yep. established good players and changed the culture and were like, okay, you know, maybe it's going to work. And then it started not working and then he was unemployed. And I feel like this may be very, very similar, but there's just a lot more money involved. Yeah. And I, that having this much money involved is almost like saving his job if they had him on like a two-year deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I agree. I I would be shocked if John Gruden's fired after this year, even after next year, unless the Raiders are just horrible and are pretty much like the Cleveland Browns where they win one game in the next two years, which I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the Raiders are a okay football team. They're going to get some victories this year. But it would be one thing if the Raiders were just struggling. It's just the fact that you shipped out the best player by far on your team after you're saying how you want to be competitive now and win the Super Bowl. So why are you getting rid of the best player? Because you cannot tell me for one second that the Raiders are a much better team now than they were when they had Khalil Mack on the roster. They'd be 2-0 and if they had Khalil Mack right now. They could easily be 2-0. and They lost very close games. They could. I think that the Rams game, they probably still would have ended up losing, but Khalil Mack definitely would have played a big factor in that. Jared Goff had all the time in the world to throw, and he would not have with Khalil Mack on the field. But And also, trading Khalil Mack, it's the package you got back from it. It was essentially one first-round pick, because you got two first-rounders, but the Bears are going to be at least a decent football team, probably be a mid-first-round pick, and you traded away a second-round pick. So you moved up what? You got a first-round pick, and then you moved up an additional maybe 20 spots in the draft. Because that second-round pick of yours, as the Raiders, is probably going to be a high second-round pick, because without Khalil Mack, you're not a good football team. I know we said this last podcast. When you drafted the first-rounder basically any round, you hope to God they turn out like Khalil Mack. You pray, you rub your, your little idols, your little rabbits, like, and you pray <laughs> the person that they turn into Khalil Mack. But you traded away Khalil Mack. You had him. You had a perfectly developed outside linebacker's DN, Hall of Famer, already defensive player this year. Like, they can only hope that they, if the only way that this makes sense is that the guy that they draft ends up being, like, a Khalil Mack transcendent type player. Yeah, but if... If they somehow luck into that, it is it is more just luck than actual strategy involved. Because when you're trading for first-round picks, it's a crapshoot. You never know how they're going to pan out. And like you said, you know exactly what you have in Khalil Mack, which is a transcendent defensive player who's going to be a future Hall of Famer. And you traded him away because you didn't want to pay him what he's worth. So I, I will never understand the reasoning that goes behind that. But that's enough talking about the Raiders. Let's talk about... The upcoming games this weekend. So first up, we got the Saints taking on the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta. 
Both teams are one and one. The Falcons are favored by two and a half points. Who do you have winning this game, Christian? I'm going to go with the Falcons, man. I got Tevin Coleman. I think it's a good matchup for them. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm just feeling not, not a great matchup, but I'm, I'm, I'm respecting I'm going with the Falcons. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Falcons, too. I I don't have a ton of confidence in Matt Ryan, but I don't have any confidence in the Saints defense who screwed me in week one fantasy football. I had them against the Buccaneers thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to have a really solid start for my defense. They get me negative nine points and I end up losing my matchup by like three points. Would have been better off just not starting a defense. But yeah, the Saints, It's the defense just concerns me. The offense, we know what they have. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a high-scoring game, even though I do like the Falcons' defense, but the Saints have a lot of weapons. Um, but yeah, I'll say that the Falcons end up winning. What about pick against the spread? Do you think the Falcons cover the two-and-a-half-point favorite? No, I do. I think they win by, like, maybe a touchdown. Yeah, I, I agree. Feel, I, I agree. think it's going to be at least a field goal. I agree. All right, let's move on to the San Francisco 49ers, who are 1-1, one one, taking on the Patrick Mahomes-led Kansas City Chiefs at 2-0 and in Kansas City. Right now, the Chiefs are seven-point favorites. What do you think, Christian? I would take the over, and I think the Chiefs are going to win. You'd, you'd, you'd take the Chiefs to cover? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would, too. I think, that, uh, I think it's going to be a really high-scoring game, because obviously the Chiefs have weapons everywhere on offense as we've talked about and then the Chiefs defense just is not good so the Niners who I don't think have a great offense uh they're still going to be able to put up a lot of points it's going to be a fun game to watch but in the end I do think I do think that the Chiefs will be able to cover that seven point spread let's move on to the Oakland Raiders who we were just talking about at 0-2 taking on the surprisingly undefeated 2-0 Miami Dolphins Dolphins are three-point favorites you know that no team in the state of Florida has lost yet. The Dolphins, Jaguars, and Buccaneers are all 2-0. Yeah, but then Florida State's garbage, so... Yeah, <laughs> they are. I think, the, uh, I think the Raiders get their first win this week. I think the Dolphins kind of come back to reality. Um, I know they played the, the, the stomp the Jets, so Jets are a super hot team. So not a lot of competition, but... Yeah, I think this is where uh, the Raiders get their first win, and if the Raiders don't get their first win... Oh, you're going to hear about it on the next podcast. Yes, you absolutely are. I agree. I think that this is a good matchup for the Raiders. John Gruden's made it clear he wants to pound the ball with Marshawn Lynch, and the Dolphins do not have a good uh, defensive line. They, I believe they're bottom 10 in the league against the Rush, so that favors the Raiders. Even though it is in Miami, I'm still going to pick the Raiders to win the game and then obviously uh, beat the spread. So let's move on to the next game, the 0-2 Buffalo Bills, who I think are the worst team in the NFL by far, taking on the 1-0-1 Minnesota Vikings. Should be 1-1, but the Vikings are, you know, Christian, I want you to guess the spread on this. How much do you think the Vikings are favored by? 5.5. They're favored by 17 points. Wow. Yeah, so I... We don't need to spend too much time on this. I got the Vikings winning, and I actually have the Vikings covering that spread. I think it's just going to be an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take a bet on that game, honestly. Okay, but you obviously think the Vikings will win, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to 
Colts one and one taking on the one and one Eagles in Philadelphia. Eagles are seven and a half point favorites. Who do you think wins that, and what about against the spread? The Eagles, but I think the Colts will have a surprisingly like they'll they'll, they'll win. They'll only lose by like three points. I think that Andrew Luck will play very well, and I think Carson Wentz might be just a little shaky in his first game back. Yeah, I I have the Eagles winning this game. I I would say the Colts barely cover because I think the Eagles are going to win by a touchdown. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Carson Wentz comes back from injury. I agree, he'll be a little rusty. Um, but the Colts are not a good football team, and the Eagles have a great defense. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers at 1-0-1, taking on the 1-1 Washington Redskins in Washington. Packers are favored by 2.5 points. Who do you have? The Packers, baby. Right. If, if it's Aaron Rodgers versus subpar quarterback, I'm always going to bet on Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the Packers are going to be out for a little bit revenge after last week, and they're... I think, oh, yeah. I think they'll win by two points, too. Yeah, I think they cover the spread easily. Let's move on to the 2-0 Cincinnati Bengals taking on the 1-1 Carolina Panthers in Carolina. Panthers are favored by 2.5 points. Who do you have in this one? I think the Panthers win this one. I think top to bottom, they're a little bit more talented team. And without Joe Mixon this week, I think they take a little bit... Hey, we don't have Giovanni Bernardi. I think they take a little bit of a step back in the rushing game. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Panthers, too, on this. I think it's going to be a close game. The Bengals have impressed me this year. I did not think that they were a great football team coming into this year. and I'm not going to say they're a great football team, but they're a lot better than I expected, and I think that they will contend for a playoff spot as we move forward. But I have the Panthers winning this game and covering the 2.5-point spread. Moving on to the 1-1 Tennessee Titans taking on the 2-0 Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville. Jaguars favored by 10.5 points. Who's your pick? The Jaguars. I think that they're going to ride that post-Patriot winning high, and they're going to be even more. I think Leonard Fournette will have a more solid game this week as well. Yeah, I mean, he's still dealing with injury issues, and TJ Yeldon's also dealing with injury issues. There's a chance that neither one of them plays in this game, but I do think they both probably end up playing. For the Titans, we don't know if Marcus Mariota is going to be playing or not. He's still questionable. Um to me, I think the Jaguars win either way. If Mariota plays, then I think the Jaguars do not cover the spread. But if Mariota doesn't play, then I think the Jaguars cover the spread. So, yeah, let's move on to Denver Broncos 2-0, and taking on the 1-1 and Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. Ravens favored by 5.5 points. Who's your pick, Christian? I think the Broncos are going to win this. I think I'm going to go against the cusp, and I think the Broncos beat the Ravens. Huh. I this is this is a tough game, especially I'm just trying to understand why the Ravens are favored by five and a half points because I feel like that's a little high and usually when I see a point spread that is kinda odd to me, I go with it anyways, just because I feel like Vegas knows something that uh I don't. So you know what? I'm I'm gonna go against my gut and say that the Ravens win this one and that they cover the spread. Let's move on to the... Gypsies. What were you going to say? You're trusting the Gypsies in Vegas. Yes, I am. <laughs> Let's move on to a battle of the winless teams. 0-2 New York Giants taking on the 0-2 Houston Texans in Houston. Texans are favored by seven points. Who's your pick in this one? 
I think it's the Texans because their pass rush will just also be too much for the Giants offensive line. It's going to be another meme of Eli's face looking looking up at the camera all fuzzy because he just got hit. Because Javon Clowney and J.J. Watt are going to come after him. You have the Texans covering the seven-point spread? Yes. Yeah, I, I do too. I know they're both winless, but... The Giants have just looked horrible. I know they played the Jaguars in week one, but they played the Cowboys last week, and they were just lifeless. Uh, Texans, I think Texans are a better football team than their 0-2 record indicates. Um, Yeah, I think they get it done, I think they cover the spread. Let's move on to the later games on Sunday, starting with the battle for L.A. 1-1 Chargers taking on the... Technically, the home team, L.A. Rams, so they're playing in the Coliseum. Rams undefeated. Rams are favored by seven and a half points. Joey Bosa will not play in this game. Who do you think wins this, and who do you think covers the spread? I think the Rams win, and they cover the spread. Until Joey Bosa comes back, the team's missing. They're basically the best defensive player. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Rams are... I don't even think this is going to be that close of a game. I think that the Rams are going to have their way both offensively and defensively, and obviously cover the spread. Let's move on to the 1-1 one one Chicago Bears taking on the winless, and I think they've just looked pathetic this year, Arizona Cardinals. It's in Arizona. The Bears are favored by 4.5 points. What's your pick in this one? Uh, the Bears. And you think that they cover the 4.5 point spread? Yeah, Arizona is very, very shaky this year. Unless Josh Rosen comes in and is the messiah for their team, I'm betting against the Cardinals all year. Yeah, I I think that the Bears win this. I'm going to say that they do not cover the spread, though. I'll say the Bears win by a field goal. I know the Cardinals have looked really bad this year, but it's been it's been more offensively than defensively. And the Bears have a terrific defense. Like, the Bears could end up... Bears could create a turnover or two and turn it into points, but if they don't do that, I just don't think that the Bears will be able to capitalize much on offense because they don't have a great offense. So I'm going with the Bears, but they don't cover the spread. Win by a field goal. All right, we got three games left. We got the 1-1 Dallas Cowboys taking on the 0-2 Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. The point spread is actually even, so who do you have winning this game? Cowboys. I think they are just... I think both teams are not that good, but I think that the Cowboys suck a little less. <laughs> I'll agree with exactly how you put it. I think I couldn't have put it any better than that. That one's for you, Barry, when you listen to this. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Sunday night football game. New England Patriots at 1-1 one and one go to visit the Detroit Lions in Detroit with uh, Matt Patricia, who was the Patriots defensive coordinator last year, head coach of the Lions now. Patriots are favored by seven and a half points. Who do you have winning that one? I think the Patriots come in and Belichick shows them who daddy is. They're going to win by two touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. I think the Patriots win this game pretty easily. Um, I'll say at least two touchdowns, so they obviously cover the spread. Let's move on to the final game. Monday Night Football, we spoke about a little bit earlier. Pittsburgh Steelers at 0-1-1. Travel to Tampa, Tampa Bay to take on the undefeated Buccaneers. The spread's even in this one. Who do you have winning? I want to say the Buccaneers so bad, Corbin. Like, I'm just going to say, no, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay beats them, and the Steelers have a massive team meeting next week to get themselves right. 
I thought I was going to be the one to surprise you by saying the Buccaneers. I'm going with the Buccaneers too. I think that the I think that the Ryan Fitzmagic stuff is at least somewhat real. I think he's he's I don't think that he's going to have as good of a game as he's had the first two years, but I mean the first two games, but the Steelers defense is not good and I think he'll still have a really good game. I think he'll throw for over 300 yards, just not going to be another 400-yard performance, and I think with that performance, he pretty much solidifies himself as the starter. Jameis Winston comes back next week and is the backup to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I agree. All right, so that's all the games. Um, Anything else you want to bring up really quickly before we end the podcast? I just, uh, I hope they figure out the Jameis Winston thing because they could get some trade value for him if they trade him. Uh, I, yeah, maybe like a fifth or sixth round pick. If Josh Gordon went for a fifth, then maybe Winston goes for the same, just because again you're trading for that hopeful potential. One thing I wanted to bring up just really quickly was just how much do you think Corey Coleman hates Josh Gordon right now? Because Josh <laughs> Josh Gordon comes back to the Browns. Corey Coleman gets shipped out because he loses his starting position. They were experimenting with Antonio Callaway, but that's because Josh Gordon was the second wide receiver. Then Corey Coleman goes to the Bills, gets cut, gets picked up by the New England Patriots, which is a perfect position for any wide receiver to be on. Then Josh Gordon gets traded to the Patriots, and Corey Coleman's cut. So he's been kicked off of two teams because of Josh Gordon in just the past month. I love it. Yeah. I hope it fuels him. Yeah, he has to get traded to the Bills on Hard Knocks. You saw it. Yeah, no, he did ask for a trade. Um, but again, that was because he lost his starting spot. Um, I believe he's on the Patriots practice squad now, so he's still going to be able to be coached up by the coaching staff. And hopefully this isn't the end of the line for Corey Coleman. We'll see. But that does it for NFL Unwrapped. Thank you guys for listening, where we unwrap the hottest takes from around the NFL. Remember to follow us on Twitter, at NFL Unwrapped. Follow me on Twitter, at Corbin Unwrapped. I remembered my username that time. Follow Good Christian. Job. Thank you. I'm trying. Follow Christian on Twitter at McGowan75. Follow Perry on Twitter at Perry Aston. Also, make sure to listen to us on the SoundCloud app or via the Apple iTunes podcast app. If you're on the Apple iTunes podcast app, go ahead and leave us a five star review. Um, we're going to be trying to move on to another podcast hosting site in the near future, so we'll keep you guys updated with that and. Whenever that does happen, we will send out a tweet so you guys all know. All right, thank you guys all for listening, and we hope you guys tune in again next time.